Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Recorded live. Hello and welcome to the Virtualization and Cloud Security Roundtable Podcast, episode 171. On the phone with me is Mike Foley. He's in technical, is it technical marketing for vSphere? Senior Technical Marketing Architect for vSphere Security. Ooh, Senior Technical Marketing Architect for vSphere Security. I got to remember that now, Senior Architect. Very good. Congratulations on the promotion. Thank you. And also with us is Capel Reina of High Trust. Capel, what do you do at High Trust? I always forget. I lead product marketing here at High Trust. There you go. Product marketing and technical marketing. And my name is Edward Hlutke, a.k.a. TechSciWill, and I'm just a lowly analyst, architect, <laughs> doer, um, technical non-marketing. Cloud. <laughs> Technical non-marketing, yeah. I've kind of done a lot of every, a lot of everything. This podcast started 171 episodes ago, which it's actually been running for for quite a while. I think the earliest one was it's at least three years old, if not older. So um, this is good. Today we want to talk about something a little bit different. Over the before the holiday started, we talked about what you do be after an event like Black Friday or New Year's, and we've also talked about, you know, what do you do to plan for such events. But now we want to talk about how do you plan security or your security posture around the hybrid cloud? And we're going to be very specific here. There's multiple clouds out there. There's software as a service, platform as a service, and infrastructure as a service. Is also storage as a service. So we're going to concentrate on infrastructure as a service and specifically going like to like. In other words, what I have as a hypervisor in my data center will be the same exact hypervisor I use in the cloud to, to simplify things. Because I think if we went to like to dislike or if I had vSphere in my data center and Azure in my cloud, things get a little bit more complicated. The concepts well, I think, are the same. The com- complexities think, are different. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I but I do think we should touch on that from a uh, manageability standpoint because manage, managing all of these systems has a huge impact on the security of all of these systems. Exactly. I think the next one we do, which will be in another, hopefully another couple of weeks, we'll end up doing like to dislike, and then we'll do one that's kind of a, a kind of a general cloud. Okay. So like to like to start with only because I want to get the concepts down. And I really want to get out of this is really, again, actionable items, things people can do today that they can do it. Now, there are clouds out there that you, that, um, you can actually get massive control over everything. Basically, they give you a bunch of boxes and you do everything, and you can bridge that gap yourself. That's kind of like having two data centers is the way I'm going to look at that one. 
There are other ones where you have access to everything but the hardware, which is also gives you some level of control. And there's other ones you have access to everything but the hypervisor. So we got a, we got multiple layers of cloud we're talking about here. And each one has to be treated very, very differently, I believe. So I'm going to ask one question of both of you. And you brought it up already. We're going to start with you, Mike. Management. Why is this important? Oh, boy. Because we're not talking about, you know, um, securing your laptop. We're, we're talking about securing a giant beast with many different bells, whistles, knobs, and so forth that all have to be set in a particular way, not for compliance reasons, but for security reasons. And it's just a far more complex thing. And if you think by going to cloud that you're absolving yourself of complexity, um, I think you're vastly mistaken. <laughs> Because at the end of the day, you are ultimately responsible, not the cloud vendor, for your security. Absolutely. Capital, what's your thoughts? What's yeah, most that's important a great point, Mike. Yeah. yeah, when it comes to sort of even for like-to-like -like clouds, what we've observed with our customers and kind of our experience has been that um, the provider, whoever you choose as your service provider, will have a base level of responsibility for physical protection of whatever assets, whether you manage them or they manage them. But the data is still your problem. And management of that data, especially when it's in the cloud environment, there's two problems. One is protection of that data, and the second is a proof that it is protected. So if you're in a regulated market or you have to do so, go through an audit or compliance requirements, you physically can't walk an auditor over to the servers in Amazon or Azure or wherever. So how do you prove that you're compliant? And that's both internal processes as well as where the data lives. And so combining both in terms of management is saying, how do I protect my data, especially when it's not, in, you know, I don't have full control of the whole stack. And the second, of course, is how do I prove that to a third party? And it could be an auditor. It could even be your own customers. Okay. So I'm going to get, let's think about this for a second. We have um, management as major thing, but we're also talking about I need an attestation. Would that yep. be a good one, Capel, saying? You need attestation as well. You do. You do. Attestation not only for um, the actions the administrators take on the on there, but also for, I mean, workloads by definition, we're talking about virtualizations, can move around, right? So they can, they can be freely moved around either by the admin, in some cases uh, by the service provider, uh, in other cases some of the more intelligent management software will do it automatically. So what happened and when is, is a complicated question to, to ask when you have 24 hours to respond in a security incident um, issue. So, you know, knowing that and having a system up front is important. Okay. I would agree there. Now, on a like-to-like -like cloud, we have actually, we, it simplifies our cloud quite a bit, I find. And what I mean by that is that Whatever you're currently doing at your data center most likely cannot be abstracted to do in the cloud because you're using similar technology, depending, of course, on what the cloud offers up as an option. Now, outside of VMware's products, there's only one other like-to-like -like cloud that I know of that you can have in your data center and you can have in your cloud, and that would be Azure. It's managed pretty much the same way. 
So you end up with, and actually multiple management access points, wouldn't you? You would end up with the management of your workloads, which you have been doing for years the same way. You have the management of your on-prem or your data center hypervisors, and then you either have management of the cloud hypervisors or the cloud itself, your tenancy. How would we address that? I mean, think about from the perspective of identity. The identity I have in my data center is probably the identity I still want to use up in the cloud for yep. administrators. How would I federate those? Well, or um, should I? I guess it depends on the implementation. Um, you could do a a loose federation of uh, I have an AD in the cloud and an AD on-prem, and I'm doing some type of SAML federation between the two. Or uh, you could have both instances pointing at the same AD environment, maybe even to the point of running one of your domain controllers in your cloud infra infrastructure. So there's there's multiple ways to skin that. And I think you just hit one on the head that I really like, and that is, is that I either a loose federation, a close federation, having something in the cloud, wherever it is, is actually very important because what happens if you lose, you can't talk back to home. You right. really still want people to be able to manage things. So you, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to do SSO and pipe everything back to the home, home plate. I wouldn't do that myself. I would say you would have to have at least some sort of replica, copy, as you said, loose federation, or an actual branch out in the cloud. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it. it these are all the, the bells, knobs, and such that really need to be tweaked and, and managed very, very carefully because um, if you're running your AD out in the cloud, then you have to start thinking about what type of access could the cloud vendor have with my AD servers. Yeah, and I think um, identity is, 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 it can be more complicated, especially with uh, cloud and virtualization. Even if an admin is authorized to have access to an environment, the question is, what is that scope of access? Right. And with, with, with virtualization, especially with cloud providers, we cannot assume an admin has access to the entire cloud environment, right? Especially if it's a multi-department, multi-tenant scenario. So one cloud provider, like and like, but you might have multiple admins from different geographies or different business units that should have different scope. So that becomes uh, another layer that we have to think about is essentially role-based access control and scope in addition to identity. Identity, I call it identity. Um, authentication authorization is what you, you can authenticate, but you now need to be authorized. Yeah, and I think yep. with, especially with cloud environments, and although we're talking about like-to-like, -like, even then it's, uh, it can be quite complicated because each of these objects, these workloads, could be network, they could be network objects, they could be uh, database objects, and so on. And so now the question is organizationally, if you've set yourself up to, oh, here's the network team, here's the ops team, you know, th those traditional boundaries kind of go away, and now how do you deal with it, right? So you don't want a network administrator accidentally taking down a database because, you know, they don't know that object belonged to a pro payment processor, for example. So 
those kind well, of let's, let's 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 think about that one for some more. You said that the boundaries between networking and storage and ops disappear with in the IT stack when you start talking about a hybrid cloud. Yet only on the cloud side, would that actually cause those? And specifically, the security person has to be a part of that entire team or people. Do you see that as pushing for the silos disappearing on the data center side as well? Uh, I, I do, yes. In fact, I, th I think that's where VMware has really kind of pushed the envelope with uh, NSX and other offerings is now you're moving to virtualizing not just compute, but also storage and network and so on. And so even in the traditional data center, those lines, even when you think about when virtualization first started, the boundary of what, uh, what you know, for example, a desktop admin would do versus server or data center admin was very clear. But with virtual uh, with virtualization, that, that kind of blurred. Now, likewise, the entire network is up for grabs in terms of virtualization. And so whether it's the data center or the cloud, um, the, the boundaries have gone because to some degree they could all be using and looking at the same interface or even the same sort of logical structure. Mike, your thoughts? Uh, I'm still I'm still chewing on, on that. Yeah, it's it's just That's the dream, I'll tell you that. I mean we've yeah. all seen it. I don't yeah, I mean, think it's happening the, as with, fast as you think. <laughs> I, I, I can guarantee you that. Um, I think all of these technologies, uh, virtualization of, of storage, compute, network, so on and so forth, bring with them uh, new opportunities and new tools. And the threat to these tools is that you'll take them and then manage them the same way you've managed everything else. And therefore, you're not getting those opportunities. And not only are you not getting those opportunities, you're now introducing a whole bunch of new unknowns. So your ability to see the value of these tools could possibly be clouded, no pun intended. So I think the first thing I... I'm I understand that, and actually it's something you and I both have been fighting against for years. Many, many years ago, there was a shift in security to actually join with virtualization, then just suddenly broke apart again for whatever reason. Now, we're I'm seeing a lot more of it needs to go back that direction, but it's getting harder and harder to do. So while the tools may push us there, I don't think we're anywhere near close to being like that. Yeah. I mean, Capital, unless you, you're talking to specialized companies, are you really seeing that all the way through? Um, we are. In fact, we've seen most of the enterprise companies and even in the, in the government where when they're looking at either a cloud-first model um, or even in the design phase of SDN, they're looking at, okay, well, great. Now, if everything's virtualized, what does that mean for the organization? Because in, in some sense, DevOps then can move faster, um, whether it's applications or, or actually in operations at the data center. And so that means then the entire organization think about, well, what does that actually mean if everything, including compute, storage, and network, uh, can be moved and migrated faster? 
what does that mean? And so the, in terms of the tools that Mike referenced, yes, there's absolutely new opportunities for new tools, isolation, things like that. The question is how are they implemented, who, who manages? So there's sort of additional steps now organizations think about to create the logical boundaries that we had previously that were physically separated. Okay. We, yeah, we definitely are seeing that in uh, in many of the uh, the verticals of the, um, uh, completely. Now, uh, it, you're right in that sense that it's not the entire organization has virtualizer network or even 100% of their network, uh, but they're thinking about it. They're looking at operational uh, procedures, SLAs within the groups, and how that affects the business. So uh, we're definitely seeing that, though. So, but I mean, let's think about that. Is the networking teams also the security team, or are they separate in those organizations? Um, they're usually still separate. It's just now security has to think about, and even uh, GRC, governance, risk, and compliance, to think about, well, what's the implication? If a network admin touches an object they don't normally touch, which is, let's say, a database workload, um, okay, well, they're not supposed to, right? I mean, it just makes sense. Uh, the question is, how do they enforce it? How do they prove it? So the security team now has to think through more, um, you can call them threat vectors, you can call them, uh, you know, incidences, and then how do I respond to it? So if something like that does happen, now I may have to talk to multiple groups. It's not no longer just or how do I the virtual administrator. Up, yeah. It's actually multiple groups. So the whole process of incident response also changes in terms of, um, you know, uh, the process and who does what. Okay, so we're talking about if you're going to the hybrid cloud, even like-to-like -like or whatever, the very first thing you need to do is think through how your processes are going to change because they will. You no longer have physical access to wires, so you know. Yeah, I mean, a, a simple example of this. Access to wires. Um, yeah, a simple example of this is let's say you have, um, uh, you're an enterprise and you're using a cloud provider, but you actually have two different locations. Let's say when you, one in U.S., one in Europe. Even if it's potentially the same cloud provider, you're going to potentially two different um, uh, locations on the, from the cloud provider side. So, how do these two groups communicate? If 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 they're uh, if you know ones maybe compete one's network or maybe they're both part of the networking group. Do they internally file tickets because they need to bring a, a a virtual object down in this other data center because from the provider's point of view, it's all logical, it's all connected, but it's physically separated, right? So, how do you kind of deal with those those kind of issues? Because uh, you, you can no longer really now assign a physical object to a physical location to a physical person anymore. So how do, how do you deal, kind of deal with that? Yeah, and then that brings up the whole issue around how are we dealing with workloads that are in different countries, whether that's on-prem or in the cloud. And now talking jurisdiction are the, control. Yeah, are the, are the policies that we have for on-prem the same are going to be able to transfer to the cloud? Or are we going to have to adopt the cloud's way of things? I mean, there's so many things to think through. Well, I mean, let's start with one thing. Outside of needing to think through how the business is going to change and how my job, how jobs are going to change, let's think technology. What's the simplest way to move there? to start off a hybrid cloud like-to-like. -like. Can you simply take your existing security tools that are in your existing virtual environment and extend those into the like cloud environment? Well, um, 
if, if we were talking about whether that's five right. nine, whatever it is, it's it's going to be dependent. Um, I could speak at a fairly high level to the um, the, the VMware cloud on on AWS type of scenario, where you are running a uh, you are running ESX on Amazon's hardware, and VMware is managing that. And VMware has the agreement with Amazon around provisioning and so forth, and it's very easy to provision new new servers and and such. Um, but you can connect your ADs up to you can connect your 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 cloud vCenter up to your AD, and you can log in as your AD user at home, and you can do whatever you need to do. Um, but there is going to be slight differences from the standpoint of I don't believe you'll have access to the ESXi host from a login standpoint. Probably right? not. Well, Probably I think not. With, from a logging perspective, you may be able to if they are just your hosts. If you're sharing them, then no. Well, you're, that's just it. You don't. You're not running shared workloads on on an ESX server running on Amazon hardware. When you when you sign up and you have uh, ESX hosts provisioned, the only thing that's running on them are your VMs. So from a logging perspective, I bet login site does get fed up into it, and I bet you well get the to that. the system. The systems that will be running in Amazon Cloud uh, will be running 6.5, so you'll get the audit quality logging of 6.5. You, yeah. you get provisioned a full vSphere instance. And at that stage, you can now use the same types of PowerShell scripts, the same types of all sorts of other tools, uh, VROps, so on and so forth, to see the information that you have today on-prem with tools that you're already comfortable with. Now, the reverse is not true if you're using Azure and Azure Stack. Azure Stack, you get your own copy of it, but Azure, you can't get that level of access. So just so people know, if you're going from like to like, even in that area, you get different levels of access, but you get the same levels of access to the management layers, just not right. the and, and, hardware. And uh, what, one thing, as I understand it, and I'm certainly happy to be corrected, um, the Azure instance that's running in the Azure cloud is different than your Azure installed on Windows in your data center. That Microsoft is going to be coming out with their own Azure prepackaged hardware from multiple vendors that will be yes. much closer in reality to what's running in the cloud. So what you're running today will look very similar, but the stuff underneath is uh, not as alike. In for, vSphere, for uh, VMware Cloud running on AWS, you are getting a full vSphere instance. Yeah, for uh, Microsoft specifically, so they ha currently have Azure, which is a cloud, and then they'll have Azure stacked by next year, which is, Essentially, uh, like you said, Mike, it's it's basically uh, what a, a variation basically of what's running HCI. Cloud. The idea is that you can move workloads between your data center on the Azure stack to the Azure cloud. So very similar to what um, 
uh, with the VMware AWS partnership, or and then of course IBM with uh, with uh, what they used to call software now called BlueMix, and VMware is really yeah, there. You can uh, right now it's anyone using anybody signed up for VMware Cloud Foundation, any cloud using VMware Cloud Foundation will act the same. Right. I mean, if you think about whether it's BlueMix, whether it's AWS, whether it's Bolt, whether whoever else is signing up for it, they're all going to look and act the same. They, they kind of have to for it to work. Yes, exactly. They, they will. But each provider will now have their own variation of, of an on-premises version that yeah. you can then move the workload from cloud to on-premise and back. Yes. Or Azure, yes. But, and that actually begs the question then, you know, is the hybrid cloud cost effective or how do you measure those costs? Because often getting data into the cloud is inexpensive. Getting data out of a cloud is extremely expensive, four to five times more than normal. You have storage costs and you have transfer costs. So now most tools that I've seen don't account for the underlying, you just have like, if it's Amazon, you're going to get a bill for Amazon networking plus your instance. That's going to be a very interesting one thing to bring into an existing virtual environment that does not have that concept of cost. They're going to have to bring it in somehow. Yeah, well, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Yeah, everyone says, Great. yeah, but I can get this. I can get this for free from my favorite vendor in, in Redmond. You know, that favorite vendor in Redmond is a multi-billion dollar company. They don't give stuff away for free. <laughs> so. There's no free anything. We've, all, we've proven well, there that. Is, exactly. I, think, I think part of it is where I think when we talk about the user or the customer, it depends on who it is, right? So what we're seeing is large enterprise customers uh, are typically multi-cloud uh, um, in terms of strategy, they'll use at least three or more providers. Part of it is geographical, right? If they have to worry about EU le uh, legislation and, and regulations with GDPR, and part of it is uh, they don't want to be sole source. Now, when you get to smaller SMB, you'll obviously it's much easier for them to, to purchase and run everything in the cloud, and there they're competing potentially in the mid market with hyperconvergent vendors. So the market is not equal in the sense of it depends on the size of company, where they're physically located, and the vertical. Based on that, they may go all in with a provider, in which case all the things we talked about become much easier, or they may have to have multiple providers, um, or they may have different variations. So it definitely depends on the, on the, on the specifics of the company. Well, if yeah. you do multiple providers and it's still like-to-like, -like, you're still answering the same questions over again. How do I extend what I currently do in my data center to a cloud instance? And it's, it doesn't sound as simple as just plug and go. I think it's more has to be more around: Are these tools federated together in some way, and is there a centralized management, or are they, or is it a a uh, near CDP of management? In other words, if I'm implementing a proxy type service in and on-prem in my data center and I want that same proxy type service inside the data center, and I want to control it from one place, is that actually even possible? I would assume it would be desirable to do that, but mm -hmm. is that really even possible today? 
I think there's a fair amount of TBD. From a, from a yeah, so from a security and compliance perspective, you know, our perspective is that the security and compliance capability should be tagged with the workload and not the provider. So the provider may set up an infrastructure for an admin to codify policies and say, okay, I want this workload should do this and be accessed by so-and-so and, -so and uh, et cetera. But the policy should be with the workload. That way you don't have to worry about whether you use, even in a like-like scenario, where that workload lives, whether it's on this data center or that provider. You have both enforcement, but also uh, the attestation we talked about earlier about where what happens. Actually, and that's attestation. A, a tagging is wonderful, and we all do it. Really what I was concerned about was, or the real concern, I guess, is let's say I have, let's just pick on firewalls. Everybody seems to love them, so let's just pick on them. Some of them times are useful, sometimes are not. If I have a firewall I'm using on-prem or in my data center, it behooves me in a like-to-like -like situation to use the same exact firewall in my cloud instance. And the reason being is, is almost every one of those clouds has a centralized management console you can use to manage all, I mean, I mean all those firewalls, I should say, has a centralized management console to manage most of those firewalls. And most tools talk to it to talk to the others, right? But where I don't have that centralized tool, is it possible to federate two tools to get to the two management tools together? I mean, let's think about vCenter for a second. I manage all my, and I have vCenter with NSX. I manage all my NSX firewalls through vCenter. But now I have two vCenters that have to be federated together. Is NSX also federated together? So that the firewalls, if I change a firewall in, on, in my data center, is it going to do the right thing for the exact same or the, the relationships I, I may have in my, data, in my cloud? I believe that is the intent. And then, I mean, once if I'm using Palo Alto or Cisco or Juniper or Fortinet, I have the same exact question to ask them. You know, when you think about it, that type of federation of policy is absolutely required when I go to a hybrid cloud. I need to you know, look at it from one place and get that warm yeah, I mean, that I can actually push the button and say, make sure that that's working right. Make Do an attestation on that object. This this is this is very dependent on the cloud provider's infrastructure and how they're doing networking. So if you have a cloud provider that says, "I'm going to give you here's your external connection and I manage all the firewall rules via this, and you can upload your own firewall rules," well, you know, then what you're looking for is not going to happen. If you have uh, a solution whereby you can run NSX on-prem and in the cloud and manage everything as if it's just two separate data centers, well, then that's a much more ideal scenario because now you can push out all the rules for, say, the, the engineering workloads, whether they're running on-prem or, or in, an, in a cloud environment. You can just say, oh, here's a new rule for the engineering workloads, apply to all. Exactly. Right? And that's really where you want to go. 
I think it's more than just, I mean, we, we talked about firewalls, and I agree with you. That's where we want to be. And there actually are several tools that will do that. There's, there's a number of tools. MetFact 1 won the Innovation Sandbox last year for automating all that, kind of becoming the glue between all the different disparate projects and tools that you have. When you start talking about that, though, it's more than just firewalls. It's all that policy. If I have yeah, like to like in three different clouds and in my in three different data centers, it behooves me to have copies of my policies in multiple locations, but a way to ensure that they're all the same. Yeah, and I think that's that's the challenge, right? So the if you try to take the old school framework of saying, okay, here's my firewall. Uh, everything is in these four walls. What was typically these four walls is now protected by the firewall. I'm just going to move it to the cloud. It doesn't work the same. Uh, the the compute efficiencies are not the same. Packets don't flow the same. Workloads move around. Uh, tagging can change dynamically, uh, whereas the firewall doesn't. And then, like you mentioned, not all providers will have the same services. So, in Amazon, for example, provides its own firewall. Could you set up your own? Yes, you can. But if you use theirs, they have a different model. Uh, they charge differently for it. Yeah, and we're talking like-to-like, like, and Amazon Correct. actually will be using whatever their, their external firewall plus whatever you want to put in vSphere. Right. So so you can set up your own. You can purchase your own and set it up, but that's a different management uh, approach because now Amazon has its own firewall capabilities that you can leverage, but you have to manage them separately, and then your logs are separate. Incident response has to go through separate. So, you're going to be, so taking the sort of the – the, the firewall as you have it today, like the Palo Alto, and trying to move it and virtualize it and use it the same way, that really starts to fall apart as you, as you go over a certain number of objects. Um, that's one challenge. The second is, if you do have an incident, the question is, how did that workload or packet or admin uh, kind of route into that um, action? And so, again, because now you're touching multiple providers and there could be uh, insiders involved, et cetera, that you don't even know about, the the ability to do uh, forensics or even provide audit trails becomes more complicated, and, you know, in that environment. Okay. You know, that's one one of the one of the things you're seeing is that um, it's a fundamental shift, right? So a lot of organizations are, are rethinking how they're looking at protecting their environment, and so they're thinking, well, maybe I should just protect the workload. At the end of the day, that's what you're trying to do: protect the application and the data. And so kind of how do I do that? Now, there's different models for doing that, right? NSX, for example, is uh, one aspect uh, around SDN, but thinking about, rethinking about how you protect the workload as opposed to trying to take the sort of the traditional solution of firewall and just move it into the provider. Well, you know, micro-segmentation does have its place, but so do edge firewalls have their place, sure. and so does antivirus and anti-malware have its place, even though most people don't want to use it. You also have identity has its place. So we've talked about a lot of those. But I think like the key the, there is I mean, yep. that you mentioned that word is, is how do you manage it, right? So uh, yeah. security is, is fairly simple, right? Don't do bad stuff, and the bad stuff is, is fairly fairly set. The question is how do I tell all the different systems uh, that, that, that interpret that differently, and how do I keep that up to date with the patches and versions and things like that? That's really the hard part, in my mind, is not so much the enforcement, it's, it's, the, it's the updates and uh, all of that, uh, as Mike was mentioning. 
And there's tools to help you solve all that problem, regardless of where your data is. But when you think about policy, that policy duplication or, or, or not duplication, I guess that's actually not the right word, but that policy federation is, I think, very, very important. Just like there's identity federation, I need policy federation across the cloud. My yeah, I mean... Cloud. I mean, what, you, what you're really looking for in an ideal environment is that you're managing both instances using the same tools, the same policies, and the same way. Because once you start introducing special case stuff, that's when things start going sideways. Because now, I, I, now I, have a new, I have a new snowflake that I need to watch. And that's just not going to scale. And this is all about scale. And when you start talking about like for like, you can actually make certain assumptions that you may not have to actually use the cloud provider's built-in functionality because you already own it or have it available to use elsewhere. Right. You, may just, you, mentioned, you, just, may say to, you just may say to the cloud provider, provide me a large pipe. And they'll say, okay, great, then I will firewall my environment away from you. Here's your large pipe. And, that way yeah, and I think the other thing that we should also think about, we've seen this with, uh, with our customers quite a bit, is uh, enterprises themselves are trying to deliver uh, services, uh, uh, deliver their products and capabilities as a service. So now suddenly the enterprise is becoming a provider. And then they have multi-tenant scenarios. So they may not, they may themselves host it on an Amazon or Azure, uh, but fundamentally they're responsible to their customers uh, to show that this multi-tenant scenario um, is, is in place, and you know they're not leaking data across the customers. So that's yet I think things we're seeing now already uh, because of how business is changing, but also because of regu uh, regional regulations changing. An attestation becomes incredibly important. So no matter what you do, have an attestation plan to ensure you can prove, trust but verify, whatever you're doing in your hybrid cloud is the exact right thing to do. And if you can't do that, choose a different tool. Exactly. And you got to think through that attestation piece as you look at the tools you have. Now. We mentioned Palo Alto. Palo Alto has a virtual version. Every, every firewall vendor has a virtual version. Almost every antivirus version has a, a vendor has a virtualized version that actually integrates quite nicely with vSphere in some cases. Other cases, it integrates at the networking level. Software-defined networking, definitely possible. Software-defined storage, definitely possible. But I think the key that we're trying to say here is, is the security policy and procedures you have in your enterprise on, in your data center today have to be rethought when you go to a place where you have absolutely no control. You can't actually go in and walk in and look at the wiring. You have to actually trust that that's done right and verify yep. it's done right through other means you may not be able to actually even crack the box to fix a critical error down at the vSphere level or at the Hyper-V level. Instead, you're stuck up at upper-level management areas where you actually are stuck. 
you have to be there. And if it's broken, then you have to call support. Um, and they get to do it, which means that they have physical access. So how do you protect against that? And then... Yeah, I mean, one of the things you really need to do is sit down with your new cloud provider and have them explain the roles and uh, processes and procedures of those roles. I know that with some cloud providers, there are people that can walk into a closet or into a cage, and they can do this, but they can't do that. Right? Um, you know, it, there's all sorts of rules that they can they can pull a box out of the rack and put a new box in, but they don't do not those guys do not touch any of the software on that box. That's done by a separate group. Yeah, and, and it could be because they don't have the keys to the box to even be able to turn it on or even the passwords, and that's fine. Right. We just need to know that, and then we need to have an audit log that that was done. Right. Okay. So even though Amazon is fairly robust with its current cloud trail, I'm not sure what it's going to cover inside of in the VCF, in the VMware inside of Amazon. Azure Stack and Azure has certain levels of that. I'm not sure how that's going to change either. I don't know if anybody has that magic ball to say. But you just can't, I mean, what we're, I think what we're saying is you just can't take what you're doing in the enterprise and expect it to work in the cloud without a lot of forethought. You really have to be open that if you're going to say, okay, I'm being told I need to go do cloud, because it's literally how it comes across, we need to do cloud, um, that part of the agreement of doing cloud is that we're going to need to reevaluate how we do X number of tasks. And it may change not only how we do those tasks from a cloud standpoint, but it may have impact on how we do those tasks on an on-prem standpoint. So now we end up, I mean, you're talking about like to like is still a transformation story. It's not as it's not yeah. simple. You still have to go through that same transformation process that you would have done if you were just going to to any other cloud service. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, the other the other part to it is if you're you know if you're a multinational, you do any work or a business in Europe uh, with the new uh, EU regulations uh, looking to take place here shortly. And um, now that you have the challenge of understanding and explaining the geographical access of the data and uh, being able to destroy data. So how do you do that now? So, you know, if you had access to the data in-house and you knew exactly where it was, you knew where all the backup copies were, that's fine. But let's uh, say like GDPR, I mean, they give you anywhere from 24 to 72 hours, depending on the use case, to either notify customers of a breach or, or, or uh, in the case of the right to be forgotten, to destroy all relevant data to a particular individual or a, a company. How do you do that if you don't know where the workload is and, and if it's in, you know, partly in your data center, partly in the cloud providers, how do you prove that you've actually uh, done all of that? So I think to your point, Edward, I think thinking through all of these things that you would typically do uh, on-premise and within your four walls, how does that change with uh, a cloud model? Because you won't be 100% cloud from day one unless you're a really small company and you're 
be able to flip the switch. I don't think we're talking about 100% cloud. I think we're really truly talking about the hybrid cloud. I think that's the first step to going to whichever direction you want to go. Most people are probably hybrid cloud now, but they're not hybrid infrastructure service. I think there's a huge difference there. And I agree, the right to be forgotten and other privacy laws that are coming into play are going to be, I don't know major companies that even have an idea how that's going to be done yet. Now, the only thing we actually, we've been talking to a number of banks, and, 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 and one of the approaches has been, okay, well, if I can encrypt my data but keep track of my keys rather than data itself, then even if there's multiple copies of the data, as long as I know where the key and master keys are for that for that particular workload and that data, I can destroy that. And as long as I can show that the key has been destroyed, uh, then that's that's good enough. And so there are some novel solutions that you can do in the cloud, or at least in these approaches, that wouldn't have thought about earlier. That w that will still that will still have uh, an operational impact until some of the standards around key management are updated. Um, you know, for example, uh, the next I think KMIP 1.3 or something along that lines will have the ability to say from the KMS destroy that key and tell anybody who's using it they need to destroy it too. And then the client that is connecting would be notified and then would have to go through a process of destroying that key. That's not there yet. So when I say, when, 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 the, when the thing is, is okay, I need to destroy a VM by destroying its key, um, in, at least in the ESX65 standpoint, there will be a process whereby you're going to have to, at a minimum, remove the host from uh, the cluster, uh, reboot it uh, to make sure that uh, uh, it is the, the key cache is completely cleared and then brought back up. Now, can you, can you orchestrate that? Yes, but it will have an operational impact. I, I agree with VMware specifically. Yeah, I agree with VMware specifically. I think, but I don't. But but um, that's not necessarily a limitation of all uh, technologies and sure. all providers, right? So, uh, but it also depends on whether or not how, what's going to be happening with SGX in the future as well. That could change everything. Once it's developed and coded to, it could actually make a whole lot of this stuff simpler or much more yeah, difficult. What? I, I think my I think my point, Edward, is that um, we're all on the road to the right place. Some are further down the road than others, um, but we're not at the we're not at the place where the regulation says destroy the key and you're okay. Exactly, because the key is still living somewhere until such time as some process has happened and that that's the same even in the you know in the SGX world something yeah. will still have to say go remove that key from wherever it is on whatever system it's on and then attest that it's not there well then you also have to attest it's not in any of the backups or that it's an old version and it's not actually going to be able to be pulled back in, in well, any the way, thing, shape or form well, the only place in, it should be in, in a backup would be a backup of the KMS server. Exactly. But it should not. Right? It, if I'm going to say destroy the key, 
the KMS server, once it comes back up, needs to ensure that those keys are not available. If it's there, there, I mean, so is, there's actually is, a gap here that most people aren't thinking about, and that is data protection around key management. It's going to be a nightmare. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's, and that, that is, uh, there are a number of ways to address it. So, for example, in the case of VMware, right, so uh, high trust data control is one of the uh, key management uh, services you can use. So if you decide to uh, use vSphere 6.5 uh, VM encryption, you can use high trust key management. Um, so one model is uh, what VMware has done, which is you have one key for the data encryption portion, which can be wrapped by the key management provider. And so that way um, you could you could just create, if you will, layers of keys. And so uh, for efficiency sake or for management or role-based access control sake, you could have, um, um, you know, sort of multiple uses for these keys. And then the wrapping scenarios of using, separating the, the wrapping key from the, the data encryption key is also another model. So there's many different ways you can do that. Um, and even in, in the case of VMware, uh, if you if you choose that approach where you want to use an external KMIT provider like HITRUST, that's one model. The other model is, uh, you know, you could, for example, uh, HITRUST has a concept called policy agent where you can install something in the workload, which then can encrypt the workload, and then you'll have uh, the KMS address that directly. So it really depends on the use case for the customer. Uh, but I agree that it's still early stages uh, for everyone in this space. All right, there you go. So we're at the end of our hour. Thank you so much. It's not as simple as everybody thinks. It's still a journey. We're still at some beginning stages. I think that the, the, the key takeaway from this is that if you are going to a hybrid cloud or are already in a hybrid cloud where you're like for like, you need to seriously think about how you're going to do security in a centralized way or a federated mechanism. I think that's a good takeaway from here. The other one is, is look at the technologies and ask yourself those questions. How has my process changed? Mike, what's your favorite saying? Uh, which one? <laughs> process. <laughs> yeah, the pro, pro, yeah, the, I, it, it is the technology is easy, but the people in process are not. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, this. If you think if you think this is going to be easy, you might be right. But if you think it's not going to affect your processes today, you're completely wrong. Capital, you have any last thoughts? No, I think we covered all of it. I just, I think uh, if organizations think, kind of think through their traditional business process, then the technology can follow up on that. And, uh, you know, companies like uh, an analyst like yourself, companies like VMware and HITRUST can kind of help in that journey to really kind of think through those issues. Thank you very much, Mike. Thank you very much, Capital, for joining us on this, ver this version of the Virtualization and Cloud Security Podcast. Absolutely. You're most welcome. Thank you, everyone. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.